live. Okay. We'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. I can all write it and we'll do it live. She cried to the southern wind. About a love that was shooting in. Hello, hello. Welcome to Open Wipers and Soccer. My name is Seth Bertelny. Joining me this evening, like all other evenings, Pablo Mauer, Thomas Floyd. Hello. Hola. Guys, what's up? (laughs) That's some banter for you right there. I'm really excited to discuss the big Kyle Becker for Bakari Sumare trade. I hope we can really go into depth for that with that and see what the implications are for Dallas and Montreal tonight. That's... On the outline, it's a little towards the bottom. I'm not sure if we're going to have time. That's right after our NPSL roundup and our (laughs) seven, you know, Phil Nagley call-in spot. What about uh, what Sidney LaRue's injury means to the Western New York Flash for the remainder of the NWSL season? Thomas, are you still on the the USWNT kick or... Are you tuning out now that the World Cup's over? How long do you think your post-World... Because it varies from soccer fan to soccer fan. Right. How long the post-Women's World Cup, women's soccer buzz lasts? Uh, Well, just for me personally, I'd like to think it'll remain a part of my... uh, The beats, if you will, that I keep track of. Yeah, but but, but seriously, though. (laughs) I think it helps that they have the Olympics next summer. Next summer, Olympic qualifying is actually early next year, so they, yeah. they have real games the spi- around the corner. Spirit also just I think, had their biggest crowd ever. Right. Yeah, it was uh, filled the Maryland soccer plex, five-some thousand, so And they, di- they didn't even have their USWNT players playing in that game, I don't, correct? I don't think so. No, yeah, they just got... I know... I'm, I'm not sure. I know a lot of players just came back this past weekend. Uh, guys, special episode today. We've got... Uh, Absolute legend Thomas Ronkin joining us in the second half of the show. Who's, uh, who's been tweeting us bizarre and terrifying pictures all day? <laughs> I mean, he's been doing it for months. Uh, anyways, what that means is we want your calls the first half of the show, 347-756-6276. You can tweet us at OWFSS. Also, if you want to tweet us uh, questions for Mr. Ronkin, same thing. Tweet us. At OWFSS. Yeah, calls for the first half of the show. Questions on Twitter for the second half because our Thomas is Thomas is a talker though, so no promises that you'll even get your questions answered. But you know, right? Yeah, I I had an interview with Mr. Rongan a few years ago, and it was the easiest interview I've ever done. I asked I think two questions, and he covered every subject I wanted to discuss in a like list of ten topics I wanted to touch on. It's much like your interview with. Richard Lewis. That's actually very similar. It's the only times it's ever happened was those two people. I'd like to see them get drinks together sometime. I hope I'm there. Uh, should we differentiate between Thomas Floyd and Thomas Rongan? Like maybe, yeah, I'm, maybe I'm Thomas one. Maybe you're Thomas two. Wait, what? and Thomas Rongan can be Thomas one. How about like Dutch Thomas and American Thomas? Dutch well, Thomas. only one of these Thomases has played with Johan Cruyff. And it's not you. I don't so brag I'm pretty about sure he could be that. Thomas one. But on the other hand, only Ron, one Ron of them. isn't out there bragging about the Olympico he scored in rec league. <laughs> I was just going to say, on the other hand, only one of them has scored an okay. Olympico in intramurals it in college. intramural soccer. All right. Anyways, let's, uh, let's, let's move on. Why don't, we, why don't we talk a little bit about the Gold Cup first and foremost, right? It's what's on everybody's mind here. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll touch on a little bit of DCU later, but let's, uh, let's get this national team garbage out of the way. Yeah. 
So we'll, we'll start off with the uh, U.S. MNT uh, getting a huge victory on Saturday afternoon in Baltimore, a match that all three of us attended at M&T Bank Stadium. Uh, they just go out and throttle the undermanned Cuban side 6-0. I mean, this one was over about three minutes in when, when Dempsey scored that header. Uh, from the U.S. perspective, not sure what exactly we can take out of that game other than the fact that they won and they're into the semifinals. I took two things. Uh, I thought... Aaron Johansson played well. You Obviously, everyone is expected to play well when you're up against Cuba. But there's a bit of a spotlight on him because Josie Altador got sent home after the group stage. And uh, Johansson, actually, for all the time he's been on the national team, he's been a part of the program for two years now. He, actually, he hasn't really played too many minutes in meaningful games. He came in late in qualifying after they had already clinched, and he barely played at the World Cup. So this is, this is his r- first real chance to make an impact. And although the Cuba game, you know, we knew that game wasn't really going to be up in the air, but he kind of locked down his spot, I think, for the semifinals and and developed a little more chemistry with Dempsey, which hasn't always been there when the two of them play together because they're a bit similar in their styles. And then also, this is, you know, something I get fixated on. I still Uh, thought... Alvarado. He was, like... (laughs) Timmy Chandler? Right. Uh, Chandler actually was all right. No, Chandler is your guy, Pablo. I think Alvarado is Thomas. Alvarado had a horrible giveaway that led to a chance for Cuba in the first minute. And then then their best chance of the first half was, again, like he fell asleep and his mark, the guy he was marking, got free header in, where if that player is... Carlos Vela or Ribe Peralta or Giles Barnes, for that matter, they bury that. And Giles Barnes. Giles Barnes. Giles Barnes. I mean, ba- based on the Mexico game against Costa Rica, I'm not sure if Carlos Vela would, well, in fact, yes, bury yeah. that chance. That, that's true. Yeah, but, but Giles Barnes! <laughs> Javon Watson. Uh, yeah, I was. To me, it was just an interesting learning experience to be around the Cuban team for a couple of days and sort of See what they're they they've been dealing with. Obviously, dealt with a series of defections, uh, five I think by game time, and um, any chance that they had, which was already non-existent, was completely obliterated when their game day roster was I think seventeen, eighteen players. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, I don't know. I, I I'm tempted to say that I've, I that U.S. teams in years past, some of them don't go out and win that game six nothing. We've seen the U.S. in the past two or three years even go up against a an incredibly weak opponent and come out two nil. Yeah. Know? I think that's the question with this game and it's kind of hard to answer, but the U S like you said, Pablo has played some inferior opposition in this tournament and they struggled. So the question is, did the U S really go out and have a great professional performance and take care of business against an inferior opposition in this game? Or was it more Cuba was just so bad that that was, going to happen no matter what uh i think it's mm, i'm leaning more towards cuba was that bad uh, partially because the u.s they had a pretty tough group uh, as far as gold cups go you know uh, panama we see they're they're in the semifinals they're you know drawing against them especially when the u.s was fielding a kind of a mixing starters and reserves lineup you know that's 
not the worst result in the world. Uh, and then, you know, Honduras, obviously they got eliminated early, but they have some good players coming off a trip to the World Cup. So and like and, and Haiti, we saw played some some good games. This tournament is maybe a, a bit of a rising uh, dark horse in CONCACAF. So they had uh, I mean, and when you see Mexico is tying Trinidad and Tobago and Guatemala, tying a Guatemala team that lost to Cuba, you know, it kind of puts it in perspective what the U.S. went through in the group. Yeah, I think there's. No doubt that tomorrow night in the semifinal, it's going to be the U.S.'s biggest test so far in the tournament. Um, Jamaica's had a, a pretty good tournament, really. And, you know, they were able to defeat Haiti, who also had a pretty good tournament. I mean, 1-0, it's not anything to really write home about. But, Thomas, I think you tweeted this during the game, and it's totally true. Uh, Jamaica plus Giles Barnes. Yes. It, he's a He's a really big addition for them someone who is a proven goal scorer in mls and someone who could really give the u.s backline some issues especially if uh thomas and pablo's two favorite players are starting <laughs> yeah. when are they going to make it a yellow card to destroy the corner flag you ever wonder that did you see the after he, he, destro- he, goes, he goes after it every time and other players like i like Henri, I want to say two years ago, broke it in half. Yeah, Tim Cahill yeah, assaults yeah. it. After that, after that he's corner flag. Yeah, after he scored against Haiti, the linesman went and grabbed him and made him replace it. <laughs> really? Yeah, it was pretty yeah. hilarious. I'm not cleaning up after you. <laughs> You're gonna start yeah. seeing corner flag rights activists at games. Um, yeah, Jamaica clearly a better opponent than Cuba. Probably, obviously, the best opponent opponent that you know that the U.S. has played. Until this, until this point, I'm actually I'm genuinely curious. What you guys think starts? Uh, what does Klinsman do with the back line? I, I mean, who, who's, who starts? Who starts back there? I, I'm a, you know assuming Timmy Chandler is healthy, which we don't really know, but yeah. you know uh, it seemed to be a precautionary move to take him out. Well, I just want to answer that question by saying I have no idea. Yeah, right. um, None of us do. Because try to speculate here. I mean, going in going into the Cuba game with John Brooks suspended. I was about 99% sure that Tim Ream was going to get a start. He had gotten a start in the game against Haiti, played pretty well at that left center back spot. Klinsman has usually favored playing actually left center backs and right center backs if he can, uh, instead of just putting two center backs back there. And he puts Ventura Alvarado at left center back and and, and starts Omar Gonzalez next to him. Um, We also thought that when DeMarcus Beasley was brought in, he was brought in to start. Klinsman even hinted a little bit at that in the press conference the day before. Uh, and there seemed to be a, a logical fit for him at left back, move Fabian Johnson over to right back. And again, Klinsman started Fabian Johnson at left back and Timmy Chandler at right back. So he did I, clarify I don't know. that. He did clarify that Beasley picked up a knock in his first training, yeah. which is why he didn't start. And, but but I, I mean, I was as surprised as you are, and who knows right. what's actually true. It's, but it is very tough to tell. I I think, you know, I could be completely wrong because it's very difficult to figure out what's going on in Klinsman's head. But I feel like historically, when it comes down to actually meaningful games, Klinsman makes the logical choices. And it, these get, the games where we see these really out of left field lineups are. You know, World Cup qualifiers once they've already clinched or Gold Cup games against, you know, Cuba. In- inferior opponents. Right. But, you know, like last last summer in the World Cup, 
I don't think there was a single lineup choice he made where people were, were like, whoa, I guess maybe Jeff Cameron over Beckerman in the round of 16, but like that was it. Um, so I, I do think we'll see Brooks and Omar at center back because, you know, he, he's been giving Alvarado games because he wants to grow that player and maybe thinks Brooks and Alvarado will be the center back pairing going forward, but he wants to win this gold cup and he has to realize that Omar is a better option at that right center back position. If he wants to actually win this tournament, am I the only one who sensed a bit of glee and Jurgen Klinsmann after the game that Clint Dempsey got a Hattie got within 10 of Landon Donovan's all-time I, record. This is our, Am I the our only new, one who this is our, that? our new favorite conspiracy. Our new favorite conspiracy yeah. theory. I'm 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 about ninety percent sure that what you alluded to is is happening. That Klinsman is actively pushing Dempsey to break the record. I, I mean, think he just sort of like has a striker's mentality at all times, even as a coach, and sort of maybe is living vicariously a little, a little bit through Clint, you right. know, and. Obviously, we we know he's never been warm on Donovan, but, you know. Listen, when the U.S. is up 6-0 on Antigua and Barbuda in World Cup qualifiers and he refuses to take Dempsey off and pumps ball after ball into the box for him, we're, we're going to know that that's what's going on. All right, let's go to the phones real quick. 810, you're on open wide for some soccer. How can we help you? 810, open wide for some soccer. Okay. All right. All right, maybe not. Ventura, is that you? <laughs> I'm sorry, Jurgen. Uh, but yeah, it's uh you know, I, I will say from a competitive standpoint, leaving Dempsey out there really wasn't the greatest thing. And actually, I don't know if you guys saw Siggy Schmidt had a quote about it today where he seemed none too pleased that Dempsey went ninety minutes in that oppressive heat. It was pretty ridiculous. I mean they were that, four the, the, the conditions I, I meant were I think you have to play I mean he seems like Dempsey Dempsey, I will say this: for the first this is this this Gold Cup for the first time. It seems like in a while, Dempsey seems like he's enjoying his soccer with the national team. I think you keep him out there. You know yeah. what I mean? I, you know, and I think the record, I think the record obviously, Clint's the kind of player who wants the record. You know, if he has an opportunity to get another goal, another two goals, or come off in minute seventy-five, he's staying on the field. Right, but if you want to win the Gold Cup, you're Leading scorer. If you want to win the gold cup, you just keep Timmy Chandler off the field. You win the gold cup. But, I mean, it's it's oppressive heat. You're playing games, you know, midweek games every week, short uh, turnaround. And he's the oldest player on the field. And you're leaving him out there for the entire game instead of giving him 45, 30, however many minutes off so he can, you know, rack up some uh, some more goals for his just personal numbers, it seemed like. It was a little curious. I know there were some other situations. Um, uh, Beckerman got pulled at halftime. He's the other you know, older veteran on the team, so that makes sense. And Chandler came off with an injury. But when, you know, when Fabian Johnson got subbed out instead of Dempsey, it was, it was strange to me that they didn't take that chance to rest him. How weird was uh, Klinsman's story about the 1990 World Cup? <laughs> it, was, it seemed very... Uh, it, seemed, left field. it seemed both... Out of left field Maybe a little and disrespectful complete. to the United Arab Emirates. <laughs> right. uh, so, for those of you who did not catch Klinsman's post-game press conference, uh, he uh, talked about you know Dempsey racking up the goals and, and said that 
it, it reminded him of when Klinsman himself played in the 1990 World Cup and took it easy against the UAE and, on, and only scored one goal when he should have had five and was disappointed he didn't give himself a huge head start on the golden boot standings. His, his exact uh, quote was, uh, I could have had the golden boot wrapped up by the second game. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's nice to teach your players to be ruthless, I guess. In, yeah. in search of individual accolades. Such yeah. as Landon Donovan's record. Uh, you gold, know, before, gold, golden ball greater than simple gold cup. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, before this tournament, I would have said that Dempsey has very little chance of getting to Donovan's record. Yeah. Uh, at age 32, still 16 goals back. Uh, yeah. But he has just come out on fire in this tournament. And yeah. now it seems pretty realistic i mean he's only 10 goals back right now he's got two more gold cup games you've got some friendlies coming up of course and then you have world cup qualifiers and especially the early rounds when you're going to get to play against some weak teams i mean he could be pretty close to that record by the time the hex even starts but when we see the u.s schedules um October friendlies to prepare them for World Cup qualifying against uh, American Samoa and, <laughs> and what's the team Micronesia? Micronesia? Are they the ones that lost like fifty two right. to zero? We are, we are playing both the Kits and the Nevins Islands separately. <laughs> we feel it's important to and he, calling in and he calls calling it, in all USL players and Clint Dempsey yeah, also. He, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Don't knock on American Samoa in this episode. <laughs> oh, right. Right. Um, no, that's why they were on my mind. So I'm trying to look at the next nearest U.S. goal scorer. Behind. It would be Josie. Has, Josie's way behind. 26. So Josie's 30 behind. Unfortunately, Josie's never going to play for Klinsman again, <laughs> so that's going to set him back a little bit. Uh, and then the next active player is actually Demarcus Beasley with 17. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The, 17. Yeah. He, he kind of that's more than he I scored guessed. pretty regularly back in his wide midfielder days, which Man, now oh seem like uh, Dude, I'm, I'm an all the way era down. ago. I'm all the way down to the single digits now, and I'm not seeing. I mean, it's probably like Hercules Gomez, six. Aaron Johansson with four. Yeah. Do you uh, guys think Hercules Gomez has a shot at <laughs> Donovan's record? Oh, man, that would be quite the story. Um, or if the U.S. schedules a bunch of games against the Sounders, then maybe. Uh, <laughs> or, um, or Toronto FC. All right, so let's uh, you know let's chat a little bit. We got about ten minutes here to, to kill. Let's talk a little bit about DC United. We could. We're not going to talk a lot about their their the result at Dallas. It was you know pretty pretty typical MLS road fair, right? And it, for for DC United, and it was typical in that they gave up a last minute goal and lost. Yeah. I'll also, I mean, we'll, in, in interest of a uh, full disclosure, we were all at the U.S. game, which was simultaneous. And I watched, I, I, I watched the second half of the D.C. game driving home in my car, so yeah, might not be able to analyze you, it very well. I feel like you, sounds like you weren't able to analyze the road much either when you were driving. <laughs> Didn't do a lot of analysis of the cars around me, but I trusted that they weren't analyzing me. Right. Know. Uh, yeah. Thomas, I'm a little surprised that you didn't come home and immediately watch the full DC United game. I mean, I caught the highlights. Yeah. I saw, I saw the um, saw incredible. See, right? I, yeah. I saw the incredible finish by Matt Hedges, just like upper ninety rocket into the back of the net, um, off a beautiful Taylor Kemp cross. Is that, okay, all right. I was like, is that a joke? Because I literally have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> no. didn't know. Uh, yeah, yes. the, big, the bigger DC United news, obviously, is the uh, the the acquisition of uh, 
of Savarillo from RSL in exchange for Luis Silva. Um, let's talk about this a little bit because it's sort of on the surface a, a bit of a tricky trade. You get a you get a you know consistent MLS contributor when he's healthy. Um, Silva obviously has struggled mightily the past two years with injury, but you know when he's in form has been great. Um, Savarillo is you know eight years older. Seven years older, I guess. You know, who who wins in this trade on the surface? Uh, I mean, I it, it's hard to tell because you know we've we've heard about both players being out of contract, so you don't know what the long term implications are. If 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 Silva wants to go to Mexico, as I believe uh, Steve Goff reported at the Post, and who, who knows what's going on with Sabarillo's future. But and let's say they both stay in MLS with their teams. I, this reminds me a lot of the Dax Dero trade. It's DC making a move that they know long term the player they're losing has more of a future in MLS, but they're getting the player who can help them now. And I'd say, you know, this has uh, been a bit of a two year cycle for DC with this group of players where they're, you know, maybe going all in for that MLS Cup run. And in an Eastern Conference that seems very wide open, you add a player like Sabarillo, who can be a real difference maker in the in the playoffs if he's healthy, and seems like a pretty good fit for the Benny Ball style, having that target forward who can just win those balls the defenders lob up the field when they don't have any other options. Yeah, I mean, this, it on, makes sense. On the surface, this is like the most Benny trade ever, right? I mean, he's trading. You know, let's be realistic. Silva's still. It's it's hard to call him a long term project because he's twenty six, but yeah, he's not an instant results guy. Saborio is somebody who has history with with a spindola, which is huge, and who Benny thinks he can just plug right in and get results out of immediately. Well, right. I mean, you're been ta- scoring very many goals. It's worth mentioning. So, yeah. I mean, you're you're talking about the oldest team in the league here, DC United. I mean, they they start a number of guys who are in their 30s. So, from that perspective, you're obviously trying to win now. You're going all in. You have a guy Silva who hasn't really helped the team this year. And who knows if he would be able to just with all these constant nagging injuries that he's had. So, so it makes sense in that, in that regard. I think it's a little disappointing for Silva. You know, I think last year we all saw him have a, a real breakout season. Yeah, double-digit goals. People kind of forget about that. Second on the team. And, yeah. you know, I think we had all thought that he really turned a corner in his MLS career. You know, he was a high draft pick a few years back. Didn't quite put it together in Toronto. Got a fresh start in D.C. Took him a couple years to get into the swing of things here. But then once he did, you know, you really had a a top attacking midfield talent in MLS. Someone who could really help the team make a difference on a a week-in, week-out basis. So it's a little disappointing to see him regress this year uh, just in terms of injury and to see it end like that, uh, to see it end this way in in D.C. for him. And I will say for him – if again, if he's healthy, RSL is a good situation. Uh, they the system they're in right now, he can actually play as more of a midfielder. Whereas with DC, he was pretty much asked to just be a forward, and he can uh, you know maybe he can spell a Javier Morales who's 35 years old, and maybe he can play uh, one of the deeper midfield roles, which he occasionally did with DC United, and you maybe you put. Uh, Silva next to a Kyle Beckerman underneath Morales. Uh, there, there are a lot of different options. It, it's interesting to see what this says about Luis Gill's future at RSL because they fill similar roles in that regard, but that's kind of a, another discussion. But I, I like what 
Silva can do with that group of players with RSL learning under a guy like Javier Morales. Yeah, I'm, I'm also told this is obviously a huge cap space thing for them. They save a couple hundred thousand dollars in cap space. And, um, you know, uh, somebody at RSL told me that they, they tried to get Silva from Toronto mm. around the time that DC did. You know, so they've had their eyes on him for a while. Then again, that's the kind of shit that gets tossed around about every player when they get signed, you know, but uh, yeah. but it seems yeah. legit. He's yeah, a good I mean, fit for their system right now. DC United has been looking at Giovanni Dos Santos for a while. Uh, just <laughs> didn't didn't quite happen for them. But, discovery claim action. But they, they saw him play and they were like, oh, he's good. He would he would help our team. That'd be nice to have him. Uh, but uh, it, uh, the one thing with this forward duo, that uh, the new forward duo of Sabario and Espindola that I feel like hasn't been brought up is a couple years ago, RSL kind of got frustrated with repeatedly falling short in the playoffs with that forward duo, and they broke it up and decided to go in a different direction. And uh, I'm interested to see if they can kind of figure it out in the postseason with DC United because they, you know, in terms of the injury worries with the players and, you know, as much chemistry as they had at times, uh, at other times, maybe they weren't always on the same page and, uh, may, and just because they've played together in the past doesn't mean they're necessarily the perfect fit for each other because of Spindle and Silva, when they were together, they understood each other. They clicked. And I'm not sure it's, it was ever that good with these two players. Yeah. Um, so also, I wouldn't exactly call him a calming, calming influence. And uh, as of late, uh, Fabian seems like he could maybe use a calming influence. Yeah, another thing is, uh, you know, they traded away Silva maybe in part because he hasn't been healthy. But Savarillo has not been healthy very much in the last couple of years. True. I think he is at, over the last couple of seasons, 13, in, 14 he's like games in, in the year. teens yeah. for, for yeah. games. So, you know, a guy who's been injury prone and who's in his early mid thirties now, you know, uh, you, you wonder if DC might be just trading one injury risk for another. Yeah. It, it's also been a mix of, uh, playing for Costa Rica and missing games because of that. Um, so it's, yeah, all sorts of, all sorts of reasons. He hasn't been playing for RSL as much as, uh, Salt Lake would have wanted him to, but DC obviously hoping they can get some consistent production out of him and that he can be the difference maker in the playoffs this year. In in one minute, which is what we have left before the break, tell me why DC United does not have one all-star. Uh, because their top candidates were injured. That's why I'd say yeah, I mean, Hamid makes the team. Hamid right? and, and maybe like a Sean Franklin or if you're looking for a right back. I think it's, it's a combination of, of not – having a true standout superstar, having it be more of a collective effort where they have a number of very good players and maybe no great players. But I think Chris Rolfe should have been there. He's He's been outstanding for most of this season. I think, I think you'll see him on the supplemental roster. I I definitely wanted him on the team too. I think he's a he's a, a total sleeper, underrated. I think, he is, I think I got an argument on Twitter with somebody about this. If you're just talking about sheer entertainment value, he's as entertaining to watch as, you know, all but five percent of the players in the league. You know oh, what I yeah. mean? It's just a, it's a profile thing. I mean, he's it's not a sexy 
I mean, Chris, you're plenty sexy. I, I was, figured I, I was about sexy. to say, yeah. you're, you know, like it's not a, it's not a sexy selection. It's an older guy, veteran. Yeah. You know, national team career probably over. You know, so it's 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 a, it's a tough pick for a fan. Yeah, I mean, he could still make the team when Frank Lampard withdraws because of injury, <laughs> um, or when Robbie Keane withdraws because of a made-up injury. All right, uh, guys, we're gonna take a little bit of break here. Get Thomas Rongen on the phone. Well, articulate. We'll be right back. All right, guys, welcome back. Joined now by the one, the only Thomas Rongen, uh, Tampa Bay Rowdies head coach, former D.C. United head coach, U.S. Youth National Team head coach. MLS Cup winning D.C. United head coach. America Samoa head coach. Thank you, thank you. Who was that, Seth or Thomas? That was Thomas, yeah. Thomas, Thomas, I, we, we think alike. I was a uh, D.C. United season ticket holder growing up, so you made uh, 11-year-old Thomas pretty happy back then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thomas, I, or, uh, Thomas I, see, now I'm confused. Yeah. Uh, Thomas, how you doing? Thomas Rongen, how you doing? I'm doing fine with Pablo, Seth, and Thomas, I guess, the three of you, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's, uh, let's jump right in. And obviously, uh, you know, the, the Rowdies, I guess, uh, you guys are, are doing pretty well. And um, you've kind of carved your way into the national, I guess, American soccer news scene, uh, scene with a, a recent signing. Um, Freddie Du, obviously, former D.C. United, former... Former lots of teams. Um, I, I guess you know. Let's let's uh, let's talk about Freddie a little bit. Um, you know, why why do you think that this was the time for him to come back to the states? Uh, obviously, it's something that's been an idea that's been tossed around for the past couple of years, and Freddie's kind of gone and done his own own thing. What what makes you think that now is the time for Freddie to to come back to the U.S.? Um, as I have with most of the players I've coached, and particularly the younger ones with the under 20 national team, from Clint to Michael, there's Dempsey and then Bradley to Freddie to Robbie to, you know, Josie. I, I, I stay in touch with those guys. They stay in touch with me. And, and it's a variety of, of, of things, uh, advice, uh, just say hello, um, you know, which is very rewarding that you can touch young players like that and that they value your uh, your input and your opinion. So, Freddie, I talked a little bit over the last year and a half, and he still had the desire to want to succeed in, in Europe. And obviously he chose a team in the lower divisions in Finland, but as a springboard maybe, which uh, a lot of players do um, in Scandinavia, still a springboard to go elsewhere. Uh, obviously didn't pan out, and, and he felt that it was time for him to come to come home. And I, I had said it to him before he went to Finland, but and then the fact that he had to drive still to go there, uh, I thought was pretty healthy. Um, on the other hand, and, and hindsight is always easy. He's been here now for close to a week, and I can just see already a different Freddie do. I mean, the way he jives with his, his teammates, the way he trains, the way he plays a reserve game today. Uh, the smile that I've seen him, similar to Ronaldinho, when he played uh, even on high level under 20 World Cup games, always in the smile of the game. He, he truly lost the game. And I think he he lost that for quite some time, years, actually. Um, he said an interesting thing to me. He said, Coach, when I smiled in Europe, it wasn't misinterpreted. They didn't think I was serious. 
And if you don't know Freddie well enough, I can see maybe that interpretation that I knew him before he, you know, before I took him to the UAE as a 14-year-old in, in uh, 203 in the World Cup. Um, uh, and I'd seen him at Bradenton because I'd spent some time there to look at the next batch of players that would come to the number 20 team. And I'd seen always a kid that that just really, truly enjoyed the game. And, and I said, let's rekindle that. Let's take it slow. Uh, his team has accepted him. Uh, we've got a great locker room, so I knew the transition would be easier. He's enjoying himself. And now it's just getting back to why I still think he can be and, and make an impact for us and hopefully uh, for other people. But Thomas, I, I know... Most in- yeah. I was going to say, uh, you know, you, you mentioned that you have followed Freddie's career pretty closely. You've, you've stayed in touch with him. I, I know this is a bit of a complicated question, but I, I, in your opinion, why do you think it hasn't really worked out for him in the way that maybe we would have expected 10 years ago? Um, and him and I talked about it. Uh, and it happened pretty much during the 207 World Cup when he when he was close to brilliant. Three goals against Poland. The way he sets up Jose for the second goal against uh, Brazil. He beat Brazil 2-1. Uh, with David Luiz and, and, and the list goes on. Marcelo, Obato, Joe, uh, Lucas. Um, and the FIFA came and, and obviously offered uh, good money. And, and he asked me, he said, Freddie, I don't think it's the right move for you. Uh, the right move would have been Michael Bradley, a smaller team here in, in, in Holland. I'm not saying it should have been Holland. Uh, Bundesliga in, in, in Germany, uh, transition to Syria. Uh, he came into an environment that he was not ready for. I kept telling him, Freddie, this is not the U.S. This is not Bradenton, uh, you know, hanging out with your, with your buddies. This is serious business. And if you're not prepared to go there, uh, or, although you think you are, it's going to be tough. And that's what happened. You know, he got a few starts early on. Then he just totally fell off. He said, there are 40 professionals. I became number 35. Nobody cared about me. I played some reserve games. They loaned me out. I got really discouraged. I was all alone. This, you know, 18, 19-year-old. No support uh, around him. And, and it just snowballed from there. So... Uh, Thomas, I guess this is a question everybody everybody's going to ask at some point, which is, you know, Adu has become, to a lot of soccer fans, to some he's the, you know, oh, what could have been guy, and to a lot of, to a lot of fans he's just a punchline at this point. What, what sort of makes you think that, that you can get maybe out of him what, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11 other coaches haven't. I mean, I, I suppose, obviously, at the national team level, you already did get all kinds of great stuff out of him. I mean, does that play into it at all for you? Um, I think it's a combination of several things. One, he believes in me, which is which is great. He wants to play for me. That's important. I instill confidence, not just in him, but for every player that, that I coach you know, on a 20 level, on a professional level, because I know I've been a player myself. That's so important. If a coach believes in you, you know, I mean, that, that, that we all can play. But if a coach doesn't believe in you, that, that can hamper you 20, 30, 40, 50% of your, your, your normal capabilities. If you're going to play scared, you don't want to make mistakes. I encourage them to make mistakes and fail once in a while, take risks in that final third. Um, and I think he's, he's going to take to that again. Yes, that's he has to play within a, a system and a tactical 
formation on both sides of the ball with, with, with without a doubt. Uh, but I see certain things of him now that remind me of the old Freddie, uh, certain things that only very few players in this country have. He sees the game very well still. He's incredibly uh, fast. He, uh, he needs to get fit. He needs to get a little stronger still. Um, if he can do that combined with all the other things that he naturally has, there's no reason why he couldn't excel and, and, and do well. And, and we're just going to take it day by day. Uh, there's no real uh, hurry for us or for him uh, to, to do that. Uh, you know, this was a, a calculated process for us, not a PR move. Uh, actually, I, I'm more excited because he's got 400,000 followers on Twitter. That's unbelievable. <laughs> I'm telling you. I tried to go ask the Grant Wall because he's got like 900,000. Grant Wall can't play, so that was a no-no. After, uh, grants uh, grants uh, are probably all, all fake anyways, you know. <laughs> Thomas, where do you get all these? Wallace. Speaking of Twitter, you're, do, you, do, you ever actually, do you ever actually coach the Rowdies, or is most of your time spent tweeting images and memes yeah, of people I, on I, Twitter? I, 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 just, I just tweeted my coaching staff, which is uh, an old-fashioned, old pen Black Sabbath. There you go. Uh, there I really go. enjoy it. And those are the guys that are doing the grunt work there for me. But I've got to raise some tips, some tips, some good tips. i, I got to stay away from memes, Freddie uh, uh, told me yesterday. Coach, what are you doing? Memes, yeah. You too much. Once a month, you just throw something out there. No, no, I, I think I think it's different for you. I think it's 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 good. Your engagement with the fans is obviously is obviously just fine. Yeah. Don't 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 listen to Freddie. Freddie doesn't tweet enough. <laughs> Freddie's yeah, yeah, a little gunshot. Exactly, Freddie. He's too busy about resurrecting his career. Good for him, good for him. But it's a great tool, you know. It really is in, in order to socialize and get, get uh, your name, the club's name, whatever out there. I find that you guys are pretty good. Uh, with that stuff too, so that's uh, that's great. And once in a while, we'll we'll, we'll do something uh, serious. I'm, I'm fairly lighthearted with that uh, with that uh, with with those things, but you know, we do media training with with our players and tell them about the pitfalls and negatives of social media, but also how we can use it to our our uh, our advantage. You know, so uh, they're just very important methods to get to the world <laughs> so it's, it's all it's all good yeah and to uh take the conversation to uh, a bit broader picture i wanted to ask about your thoughts on the nasl uh as a whole the growth strategy and the sustainability of this league in a north american uh soccer culture that doesn't have promotion and relegation and it seems like this is a very ambitious league that has tilted a bit more toward really trying to be a competitor for major league soccer more so than say the usl has and and just what are your thoughts on how this league has gone about growing itself in a in a measured way while also taking the uh some more risks than i guess uh previous and and along with the usl uh minor leagues in the u.s have done in the past I, I, you know, the last few years, I've I followed the, uh, uh, the soccer scene always leave very close and, and still do. I, I wasn't sure about the NESL. I, when I took a year off and went to American Samoa and came back, um, I watched some home games of the Footlord of Strikers because that's my neck of the woods. Uh, small crowd, the level was okay. Uh, I must say now that, that, and that's not because I want to promote this league, but it's just being. Uh, honest and, and factual. This league has a direction. This league has very committed owners that really, really believe in in, in the league and believe in themselves and trust each other. 
I think they're a great alternative for MLS uh, for all the reasons that we, we know about. You learn to team, whatever it might be. These guys want to be able to control their own money. Uh, they're all pretty high rollers. You know, this is not just uh, a few guys that, that were a pizza parlor, which we had 10 or 20 years ago, unfortunately, and one leagues were semi-professional for a while before MLS started. Uh, and this group will and is very committed to continue to expand. Uh, I can't mention cities, uh, but I, I, I'm very close to our owner that's very aggressive and wants to do things uh, things right. I think this league will be, in two years, 18 teams healthy. Um, also, just like MLS, growth in terms of fans, growth in terms of quality. Um, you know the games we play are very competitive um, uh, at a fairly uh, you know fairly high uh, very high, fairly high level in pretty good stadiums uh, good infrastructure um, I mean we, we're even flying on a private plane of our owner you know to some of our away games if it's uh, Minnesota or in Edmonton um, I don't even think that many MLS teams can say that so uh, they take it seriously we take it seriously uh, the players are are paid. At most clubs now, year-round insurance, uh, apartments, uh, in some cases cars. Uh, so yeah, I think it's uh, it's a it's a very healthy uh, alternative to to MLS for anybody that wants to maybe get into professional soccer. And, and it's good for the game in this country that we have uh, different leagues. Uh, yes, I would love to see promotion and relegation, but that's just not going to happen. Um, so. You know what? Everybody within their own right, be it USL, be it us, be it MPSL, be it USL, be it, uh, you know, whatever other leagues are out there, they're all trying to carve a niche. And I think that's good. I mean, if we can have all these different leagues and different levels, like even Germany and Holland, um, understanding what their roles are, one of them could be the lowest level, really promoting young players and, and, and developing young players to go to Division Three. And if the Twenty percent is good enough to go to Division Two, and then if five percent is good enough, they might end up in MLS or, or abroad. If everybody just understands their role within the landscape of soccer in this country, we're going to all be better for it. You know, I firmly believe that the hierarchy just needs to start working together, and that's not always the case. Thomas, I wanted to switch topics a little bit. Uh, you obviously have a pretty extensive history with the uh, U.S. national team program. Uh, just wondering if you've been following the the national team closely throughout this Gold Cup, uh, throughout the World Cup last summer. I mean, where do you think that this U.S. team is at, and 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 how do you think you know Jurgen Klinsmann has done, uh, kind of remolding the team, um, not just at the at the national team level, but you know at the youth levels also. Like you know, he came in saying that he was going to try to transform the culture from the bottom up, um, you know, as someone who's very involved in the youth level. I mean, what do you, what do you think of uh, Jurgen's progress so uh, far? If you look at results, and I think now they've qualified for the World Cup with Jurgen once. Am I correct? Yeah. Or yeah. twice. Once, once. Once. Uh, one, the group, and, you know, Buff Mexico which I don't think in prior years we've done, went again as far as Bob you know, went around the 16, uh, beats uh, Italy, Holland, Germany, in, in, in Europe, in meaningless games, don't get me wrong. Uh, so if you judge, just you look at that, you look at the surface, you go, ah, not, not bad. But if you really look at what has been happening, 
he's become a conformist of what's happened in the last two decades. Uh, we're still athletic. We're still, I mean, with all due respect, uh, and I love all these guys to death, but if you're out of a slender full for two, your midfield pairing is Kyle Beckerman and, and Michael Bradley, then it's telling you something, obviously. And we still have somebody like Tim Dempsey, fortunately, that can, that can help us out. But I haven't seen the progress, in particular for the American players, that he vows to give opportunities to. Uh, I haven't seen too many young players come through. I guess you look at a few, but 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 uh, uh, there should have been more. Um, the more entertaining, attacking style uh, has not happened either. Um, if you look at the Gold Cup, yes, we beat Cuba, but when group play two out of three games, we were the lesser team just because we're more organized, we're, we're tougher, we're mentally strong. Those are still all the attributes that we used to have and, and got us to the round of 16 in the World Cup as well. I would like I would like for him to take it to the next level. Now, you know, asking all of you guys, for instance, is that maybe fair? Are, are, we, uh, are we producing players for Jurgen Klinsmann? Because he just is on the top of that pyramid. And I say, no, we're still doing a very, very poor job on you know, on the ground floor, so to speak. And, and you know, at the end of the day, he's got to win games. He's got to get uh, win the Gold Cup. He's got to get to the World Cup. So he's going to do that with more experienced veteran players, uh, the Joneses of the world versus, you know, uh, versus maybe some other players. And, and I understand that, too, because he's going to be judged at the end of the day on winning and losing by the Smeal Galatis of the world. So, um successful from a, a, a results standpoint, not as successful. He really hasn't changed that culture as he said he would. Uh, but he's only one man in, in a country that is huge and you know, three time zones, different talking about different leagues and pro level, different leagues still on, on a youth level as well. Untapped resources in parts of the country that we don't even know about because they don't play organized football. Uh, is the academy route the only route we need to go to identify players? Are we missing players in uh, the inner cities, uh, in, in areas where, where there's a lot of immigrants, in particular from Central and South America? I'm, I'm sure we, we do. I mean, if I can find a mixed disc route in Mexico playing for a team called Starbucks, if I can find a Jonathan Brooks that nobody's heard about at 15 uh, somewhere, if you can find a Clint Dempsey that nobody had heard of at the college game, which I did. Uh, uh, I'm sure with more resources, more scouts, and, and, I'm, and I know that's happening, but not to the extent that I see this country producing exceptional players, which really should. I mean, we're, we're a young country. It's a young game. There's no reason why we can't produce more Clint Dempsey's for instance. Now, you've uh, made our job very easy in terms of the transition <laughs> because my next question was about one mixed disc route. Obviously, you have a, a bit of a past with him. And uh, at this point, a lot of the discussion around him, both on the club level and the national team level, is that this clearly is a player with a ton of talent, but no team, uh, whether it's NYCFC or the U.S., seems to have been able to figure out the best way to harness that and maximize it. So what's your take on what it will take for, for Discrude to really reach his potential and be that big impact player in MLS and on the national team level? Uh, that's, a, that's a hard one. I mean, we were in Guadalajara with the national team playing uh, playing a tournament there. We played a, 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 a warm-up match in Starbucks and 
coach tells me this guy number ten is a he's an American. So while he's taking the court, I go, "Are you American?" He goes, "Yeah." yeah he's actually a pretty funny guy from that standpoint. He's pretty relaxed. Um, and this was very close to the World Cup in Egypt, two and nine. And we decided as a staff, we don't know much about him. Let's take him because he he showed some Clint Dempsey esque uh, uh, abilities. He played a lot of minutes actually, and there. And I know people might go, that's crazy, but, you know, I still felt in the World Cup, I got to develop players, you know. My job is not results, but how many guys can get to the next level. So there was something about it we couldn't really figure out. Is he a, is he a 9? Is he a 10? Is he, is he an 8? More of a two-way player. Agency has been used like that in New York with the national team. I don't think anybody yet has figured out what his best position is, A, Mentally, he's an interesting guy. And again, I only had him for a month leading up to the World Cup and the World Cup, so I cannot really judge where he's at from a mental standpoint, how tough he is. He has some ability, no doubt about it. Uh, how much he wants it, uh, I think he does. But again, you know, I don't know. he's not somebody that played for a club for me for a year or two years that you really get to know. So I don't know really what his mentality is. I think at the end of the day, it's really you know between his ears. I mean, if he wants it, uh, he's got to go and, and, and get it. And, and he needs to go where it hurts once in a while. And I'm not sure if he's willing to do that all the time. Thomas, I want to get to a question on Twitter from uh, Brian Stout. He's asking if you watched the uh, Under-20 World Cup this summer, uh, just concluded a couple months ago, and wondering your thoughts on the talent level on that roster compared with uh, U-20 teams that, that you've coached in the past. Um, pretty interesting transition. When, when I, my, the first World Cup team was a 203 team in, in the UAE. Uh, Drew Moore, uh, Chet Marshall, Ricardo Clark, Clint Dempsey, Mike McGee, Freddie, Santino Caranta, uh, Justin Matt, uh, Ned Grabovoy. It was pretty much uh, Jordan Harvey. That was, that, that was the bulk of that, uh, that team. And most of them were in, in, in college, with the exception of, uh, Oh, Eddie Jones was there as well, and Bobby Conley, because Eddie won the Golden Boot. And so we had the residency guys that had signed pro already or were in the verge of it, and mostly college. You fast forward to 205 um, in, in Holland, not 50-50. You go to uh, Canada, the 207 World Cup, it's, I would say mostly, but I would say probably 70-30, 80-20. We still had a Actually, we had two college guys playing, playing against center backs. That would beat Uruguay, and the two forwards were Cavani and Luis Suarez against two players that don't even, don't even play soccer anymore. They're not perceived good enough. Jules Fountain from Wake Forest and Ofori Sarkodi from Indiana. And they, it was great. Before the game, I said, hey, you know who you guys playing against? Uh, Luis Suarez and Cavani. Uh, a lot of guys. You know, I mean, they were so innocent, <laughs> which is Beauty too. They just were so naive they didn't give a fuck. They, they were like, we don't care these guys are. <laughs> and the same with same with Brazil. It was Pato and, and Joe. Pato had just been signed for like thirty million at AC Milan. Same thing. But we we beat that lot. Look what those guys ended up and look what these two guys ended up. They're, they're at McDonald's right now. You know, it's, it's it's interesting. But so you know, key to go forward with that is that uh, right now Taft's whole roster was professional. A few from here, but quite a few from abroad as well. Um, 
And it was, I'm sure the tap, the tap and I have a good relationship. We, we talked, we talked, and, and he was my assistant actually, and became the head coach after I got let go. So I'm, I'm really happy for him. He picks my brain once in a while, and he was somewhat, you know, he still still there's, there's decent talent. Uh, but at the end of the day, still maybe not good enough to get in that upper upper echelon, which is probably true. And I lose that group. There's a few guys that will end up on our Olympic team, without a doubt. There's probably one or two, maybe three, that might represent our senior national team. And that's just the norm. You know, that's not because we're doing a bad job. There's sometimes cycles where nobody goes to the to the senior national team. And if you look at the Brazils and Argentina, you know, look at their rosters, and there's seven or eight guys. The team that we beat, they're playing right now and starters for the full Brazilian national team. Same with uh, with Argentina, same with Uruguay. So the interesting part there to me is that on youth levels, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, we can compete seriously with the best in the world. And we proved that pretty much uh, uh, a lot of times. Youth teams go over there from FC Dallas and beat Ajax on the U16, but we beat them because we're still more athletic. We're stronger, we're mentally uh, not as technically and tactically advanced. And all of a sudden, at that 18, 19 threshold, when they become full pros and start training with the first team at Ajax, and we lose them, unfortunately, to college, or we lose them to teams abroad like Freddie, and they don't start anymore. They become number 32 on the roster, and they become really nobodies. They become training players, basically, to prepare the first team. That's when we lose a lot of grounds, and and that's still where we haven't found a solution. Thomas, I want to ask you something. You um, obviously have a long history with DC United. Uh, you know, coach, uh, commentator for a while. Play with the Dips um, back in the day. This is kind of a random question, but what is the what's the sketchiest thing you've ever seen at RFK Stadium? Uh, <laughs> a building that is a building that's literally falling apart. What a what's the could be an animal, could be a a, a, an issue of structural integrity. What is what is the? Do you have any particularly strange memories yeah. of RFK? Um, well, I coached there uh, for three years. It's literally one season. I only had brown water coming out of my shower, and, <laughs> oh, it, and it was just you know I go, is this healthy, guys? Yeah, yeah, it's all right. It's just a little dark, you know. Okay, okay whatever. <laughs> Um, the next year we had like a roach in, in, in investment. I'm, t- I'm talking about players who'll be jumping up and down <laughs> in the locker room prior to games to get away from roaches. I, we couldn't kill them anymore. I don't think they fixed and that I, one. <laughs> I haven't seen that. No, they also told me they haven't fixed that yet. No. We have right um, now. Right, right now, what we're dealing with is a is a massive wasp infestation in the press box. Uh, <laughs> just sort of be yeah. like writing about a game, and all of a sudden, look at your keyboard, and there's a wasp the size of a Chevrolet oh, crawling God. on your hand. You know. Poor, poor Stephen Goff. How's he doing? I don't. Know. I wonder how many Twitter. I wonder how many Twitter follows Stephen Goff. That's an interesting one. Stephen has, a, I think, a hundred, a hundred thousand, right? Something like that. Is that right? No. Yeah, oh, he has a lot. Are you gonna Are you gonna ask oh, him to play for the Rowdies God. now? Hashtag, hashtag legend, man. That's unbelievable. <laughs> <Hashtag> <laughs> he has one hundred and twelve thousand followers. Wow. That is bullshit. I'm telling you. <laughs> Stephen, you don't write anything that really makes sense. I'm sorry. Stephen's like that stuff to it. I gotta just make up stuff. Uh, can we, I love you, Stephen. I love you, Stephen. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how he does it either. Over the years, I mean, I've been on the beat for four years now, and I sit 
a couple seats down from him in the press box. He right. seems to – I think he's just entered in, into some sort of zen state where he, he's kind of tuned out to the wreckage around him and just, you know, writes, goes home, whatever. right. Yeah. Um, I just love the sense going bouncing up and down. You know, you, you would think any time somebody or really hundreds of people would just – something would collapse on them. I mean, that's just <laughs> – that's just incredible. So, uh, to stick with United a little bit, I'm sure, obviously, you watch your fair share of MLS. Um, Benny is a guy who you coached uh, for years, obviously, and you've interacted with for years. I wonder what you make of him as a head coach, because, you know, obviously, uh, with the exception of 2013 and the chunk of 2010 that he coached, uh, the results have been there. You know, um, he's a he's a coach that wins a lot of games, but... Uh, often, I think uh, you know fans in the league, even DC United fans, might criticize him for maybe not being the most tactically strong coach. What do you what do you make of him as a head coach and his progress over the years? Um, I drafted Benny out of Virginia. Won in his first year when we won the won the cup in '99 in Foxborough. And I remember after the game, we were both crying actually. And I said to him, you know what, you're not only a good player, you'll make a good coach one day. His passion, his energy, and that's still, you know, that is Ben's strength. Uh, One play for him, his teams compete like bastards every game, so they're hard to beat. Uh, And he's instilled that mentality now since he's been there, and and guys are buying into it. And he surrounded himself with some some good people, so if there's some, you know, uh, I'm not a... I'm tactically okay. Or, you know, <laughs> some people might say I'm, I'm very good. Some people might say I'm, I'm useless. But you try to surround yourself with people that can compliment you in certain areas. And he's done that. It's, it's, they play pretty sophisticated football. Not any worse or better than other teams in the league. And then you're right. He wins more than he loses. So uh, when people say he's tactically not astute, and I say you don't know what you're talking about. Because uh, then he wouldn't win as many games as, as, as he does. So he's a He's still a bright young coach, a guy that I think can go to another level. I don't know what, what, what that really means, but um, you know, he should be a guy that, that just like maybe Jason Kreis, uh, Greg Berhalter, maybe in time could be considered for, for a national team head coach position. Wow. Um, here's, a, here's a random question that I'm, I just want to put you on the spot here. Freddie Adu, do we ever see Freddie Adu in a national team uniform again? Uh, call me again in uh, in in two months. Seriously, I I I, <laughs> I, I don't want to put any pressure on. Uh, of course, of course. Yeah. And after we guys, I can't sit here and say yes, he will or, or no, he won't. Uh, one day at a time, one game at a time. He's shown me certain things that I've seen before that are, as I said again, are special and different. Uh, can he combine that with you know? Talk about Mitch Discourse. You know, I've, I've been seeing Freddie for five years. So I really don't know where he's at from a mental standpoint and how much he really wants it. It, it seems like how he really wants it. Um, but a lot of people can show that initially and, and uh, say that, you know. Um, now you have to execute it because <laughs> there's a lot of very skillful players in the world, but some reach the highest level, most don't, and there's reasons for that. And most of the time, it's, it's more mental than anything else. So, Thomas, I'm going to do one last question from Twitter here. Stephen Brandt asks, it's kind of a catch-all here, but 
what's the one piece of advice you'd give to a young soccer coach? Shut the f up. <laughs> Are you talking to me or the coach? <laughs> no, I'm just you know. I think one of one of our problems, and if you look at look at most of our American players have played or played on the highest level, with a few exceptions, and that's why we have to embrace those players. They're very mechanical because we've overcoached them. You go to a youth soccer field and go stand behind a tree, and the team you coach is, they'll just stand around. They don't know what to do. They don't take the shirts off. They don't play four versus four. The fifth one goes comes uh, is four four plus one. We are so structured. We overcoach too much. Um, and yes, we got to create a, a good and healthy environment, and there should be some coaching without a doubt. But I really think that that we create very. Uh, I look at even the way some of our American players run versus the fluidity of players in, in other countries, and um, you know, I almost feel that we we stifle some of those important qualities. I I almost can make somebody stronger and probably faster. I'm not going to make him technically better if I kill that at 9, 10, 11, 12 by just screaming at him while he's dribbling. Let the fucking kid dribble, you know, <laughs> or put a restriction on the guy that, that, that we all call a ball hawk. Uh, you know, it, that's where I think we go wrong. We, we have our weakest coaches on the lowest levels where we need to have our best coaches. Any sophisticated country in the world has the best coaches on the lower levels, but our youth coaches don't get paid coaching under 10s, they get paid, you know, doing the under 8s in the academy team. Um, I've seen so many players completely under 20 level, I just shake my head because they're so deficient in a lot of areas. And these are guys that are considered to be the best in the country. So something goes wrong somewhere. And going back to Klinsman, you know, he's a product of our environment. I don't think we provide him right now with, with adequate uh, high-level players. Yeah, I mean, I... I'm with you on that, but I kind of wonder if he's not at fault a little bit for that because it's something that he promised to change. You know, I mean, when he when he came on board, there was a lot of talk of how he wanted to overhaul the system from top to bottom. You know, so I feel like you yeah, kind, of, that, that, kind of have to hold that, his feet yeah, to the yeah. fire a little bit. You know, correct. I mean, you look at you know, and I said it before, and then some people in, in, in higher positions didn't like that, but I said if he's also a technical director and surrounds himself with probably between senior team uh, and 23s, probably with six or seven foreign guys, pretty folks, uh, the goalkeeper coach from England, who's, who's probably a pretty, because they're probably good coaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy um uh, the guy that coaches our under-18 national team was in Spain. Uh, Tap is really the only one there, not John Hackworth in a lower level, but pretty much... I would love to see American coaches also. Just like we develop players, we need to develop American coaches on all levels and also the elite level. Um, so, yeah, that's that's where I'm a little disappointed. It's a little, a little bit like the root bullet syndrome, you know, sexy football. And L.A. didn't get sexy football. But, uh, you know, so, yeah, there's, there's, there's blame for everybody, including Jurgen and, 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 you know, other people, obviously, on, on all levels, on all states, and all regions. Thomas, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Always uh, enlightening, and I, I got to say, I've uh, you know been following the rowdies and you on Twitter, and uh, the, the stadium down there looks fantastic. What you guys have done with it, I, I'm kind of, I, I kind of, I think I got to visit at some point in the fall and take in a game. 
Well, you got you got to go. It's seriously. It's I know it's seven thousand. We're going to pack the place on Saturday against Fort Lauderdale. It's great atmosphere. It's right on the water, downtown St. Pete. It's uh, it's an ideal setting. If you talk about you know you want stadiums downtown, this is a city that's growing. It reminds me a little bit of Fort Lauderdale when I first got there in the NFL. Not a lot of competition. The the the, the race are probably moving, so we're going to be the only only game in town. There's a little bus right now. We can get a cup of coffee. People recognize you, and I think that's going to build. It's really going to build. It's pretty. It's pretty cool. Well, we'll uh, we'll keep tabs on you, and, and best of luck in the fall season, uh, Thomas Rangan. Obviously, a pleasure. Uh, thanks, and take care. Thank you, guys. Yep. Thank you. All right. I think uh, I think that's all we got. Should right. wrap it up. I, I just want to say I do appreciate how Thomas took our policy of. Not caring about swearing. Yeah, yeah, that was that was two, uh, two f bombs, two fuck bombs, if you will. Much you know. much appreciated, I have to say. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, we gonna try to do one of these next week, I guess. We gonna sure. try to do these more frequently. Well, uh, Post Gold Cup show. All right, guys. Uh, we'll see you next week.